in John chapter 8. That's our passage for today where we're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at Jesus as a model and we're seeing his words uh, when in John chapter 8 verse 12 it says, Jesus spoke again to the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. Does anybody actually question this one? No, no, please don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe God's word. I, I, I believe that it's truth. I believe everything Jesus tells me is absolutely true. And I believe Jesus is the light of the world. And I've given my life to follow him. But are some of you walking in days that you would say are days of darkness? Are some of you walking in days where we seem surrounded, whether it's things in your home that seem absolutely like too heavy to bear at times? Are, are, are there moments like in the news that just seem like, oh my goodness, there it is, there's the darkness. All the way through, we all know the tragedy of Rob Elementary this week. And our hearts are broken for families that have lost children, people who have lost, and the two teachers that gave their life senselessly. Did that disturb you? It did me. I think for two, three, four, I, I, just, I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking what could have happened? What could have been different? Last night, my wife and I had the privilege of being at a dinner uh, with a man who's a doing missionary work around the world and he just got back from the Ukraine and was able to bring 50 people out on some buses, uh, some women and, and their daughters out. But the tragedy that it occurred in their lives is quite frankly unspeakable. And it was just darkness. This week, our own church connected to our, our, our larger group of family of churches in the Southern Baptist released some reports and some things that have been hidden for a long time of sexual abuse and, and listen people and just things that made my stomach turn. And I want to say, look, I, Jesus, I'm following you. You are the light of the world. But how do I deal with the fact that I feel like I'm still walking in darkness? It's everywhere around me. When Jesus spoke those words, he was actually speaking some truth that those who are truly his followers would not themselves be the darkness. We are called to be his light. We are called to be transformed for the inside out. We are called to live out the truth that Jesus is the light of the world and he has called us to be those lights in a dark world. For us as believers, um, we're going to see Jesus today confront the darkness confront the situation where he found himself with religious leaders who were corrupt, with people who were enamored with power, with a foreign power that it was oppressing the people uh, to a degree that they could not bear. Jesus, in the middle of the Gospel of John, which is quite honestly a gospel that's all about confrontation, Jesus takes on the darkness. And I want us to be able to walk away today with a couple of truths that really have application to us. The first truth is this, that Jesus is an ultimate judge, that Jesus is the judge. There will all be a day when every deed, every word, every thought will be held accountable to him. 
You see, the religious leaders came to Jesus, and when he proclaims himself the light of the world, they immediately stood up and challenged him. They said this in verse um, uh, 13. The Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day said, here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Now, we might just sort of gloss over that. We might think, uh, what are they saying? What are they accusing him? Here, Jesus is claiming to be the light of the world, the Messiah who has come, the one who would change everything. Here, and what did they do? They found a small fault. They, 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 obviously, Jesus was proclaiming love of God. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was proclaiming a righteousness that they couldn't attack his righteousness. They couldn't refute the fact that he was healing the sick curing the blind. He was raising the dead. They couldn't counter the fact that Jesus was feeding 5,000. Couldn't, he couldn't counter the fact that Jesus was doing good. So they went to find some other fault. Let's find some other thing to accuse him of. Those are days of darkness. Have you ever had that happen, right? You're trying to do the right thing. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in your family. But it's like somebody finds some kind of little little thing to nitpick at. So, so, some little thing to kind of give the little jab about. Some, some little sort of negative that they're like, well, you know, <clears throat> I know you did the dishes and the laundry and the yard. But I noticed that you didn't fold the drying cloth up and put it back in its place. You could have done it. You know, it's those little things. It's like, are you kidding? Why couldn't I? didn't do it all right. Well, Jesus did everything right, but here's what they're referring to. In the Levitical law, you, you, you were accusing someone. You actually needed to have two witnesses. You didn't want to just take one, word, one person's word for it. Um, and in fact, Jesus builds upon this idea. And in Matthew 18, it says this. If your brother sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Go in private. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they don't listen, take two or three others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Jesus is building upon this command from Deuteronomy and bringing up this idea that, guys, we need to bring out things. If you're going to make an accusation, um, it needs to be established by a couple of witnesses. It needs to be not just one person. But Jesus even takes the righteousness to a whole new level. This is if somebody's in fault, don't make it an issue before everybody first thing. The first thing you do is show them their fault in private. You try to get the thing resolved just between the two of you. You don't make it an issue for the whole congregation. Jesus goes on to say if they won't listen to the two, that's when you finally bring it before the whole congregation. The Pharisees were using the exact same law, the exact same rule from the book of Deuteronomy, and twisting it to make it say, you're making claims about yourself. Doesn't count. You can claim to be the Messiah. Doesn't count. Somebody else has to say you're also the Messiah. Can you see the problem with that? Who else is the Son of God? It's not like you had someone else come down from heaven and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll be the extra witness. It's not like some other angel could appear. There was no one else that could be that witness except God the Father. And of course, that's what Jesus ends up saying. My Father is also uh, my, my witness uh, about this. In John 8, he goes on to say this uh, in verse 14. Jesus answered, look, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Verse 15, 
You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Okay, we said that truth, number one, is that Jesus is the ultimate judge. But let's look at this verse right here. Isn't it confusing? Um, Jesus just says, I pass judgment on no one. Well, we need to realize that Jesus as judge has not come with the intent of bringing judgment. He's not come with the intent of bringing condemnation in the world. In fact, he has come to help us and rescue us from the condemnation we are already under. We don't realize it. We don't believe it. We see ourselves as the good people. We see ourselves as the ones who are righteous somehow. We think, well, it's those guys over there, right? It's those criminals over there. It's those wicked people over there. It was those people that will we'll label them pure evil. But the truth of the matter is, no one is righteous, not even one. No one has sought God. No one has been blameless. No one has been perfect. And in the middle of that, Jesus, the one who can judge, the righteous judge, has come not to bring condemnation, but to rescue us from the condemnation that already we deserve. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 3, in that famous passage where he says he loves the world, that God sent his only son to forgive us, that if anyone would believe in him, he would have eternal life. It goes on to say in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So whoever does not believe Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in God's one and only Son. You realize what's going on here. If we have all are guilty, if we've all sinned, if we're all separate from God, we need a Savior, and God has provided one. God in his love has given one. God gave his Son, Jesus, to rescue us. But if we reject Jesus, we've rejected the lifeline. We've rejected the only hope. We've rejected the salvation. We've rejected the Savior, and we're stuck in our own sins. Jesus hasn't come to condemn us, but to save us from condemnation. But don't miss this this morning. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you have not said yes to him this morning, then right here, right now, this is your moment. Say, Jesus, rescue me. Save me, because you are under that condemnation. But he's come to set you free. He's come to give you forgiveness. In the same passage in John chapter 8, in this same chapter, a group of religious leaders came to Jesus. They came with a woman who was caught in adultery. Now, it seems very odd to me that they didn't bring the man. <laughs> they just brought the woman who was caught. Because she was caught in the act of adultery, there had to be somebody else, right? Well, they bring the woman to Jesus, and they say, Hey, Jesus, um, here's a woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. The law says she should be condemned. She should be stoned to death. She should be killed right here, right now. Let's, take, let's see if you're going to uphold the law, Jesus. Show us, are you merciful or, or, or are you righteous? Because either one, we're going to condemn you. <laughs> we're just setting you up. It's just a trap. We've just, we've got you, Jesus. We want to accuse you. We don't think you're the Savior. We don't want you to be the righteous one. And in John chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus straightened up. After he'd been writing with his finger in the ground, we don't know what he was writing. Perhaps he was writing a list of sins, maybe sins that they had committed. Maybe he was listing, <laughs> writing down their names because <laughs> maybe they stood condemned already. We don't know what Jesus was writing as he wrote there in the dirt, 
But if Jesus straightened up and he had said, you know, whoever is without sin should throw the first stone. And one by one, those religious leaders, those accusers of this woman, they dropped their stones and they left. And Jesus said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. Then listen to Jesus' words. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus, the ultimate judge, has not come to condemn. He's not come to condemn. Though he could, he was the only one without sin. He's the one who could have thrown the first stone and the last stone and every other stone. Jesus is the one that could put us all under judgment. But instead, Jesus has come to take our sins away, to pay for them, to endure the punishment we deserve. Jesus, that ultimate judge, has not come to condemn, but to save us from condemnation. But don't miss that last line. Go and leave your life of sin. You see, as the ultimate judge, not only does Jesus rescue, but Jesus actually also brings about um, this judgment of righteousness, showing us what is right and what is wrong. He is showing us how we have to live. He's showing us what is good, what is right, what is the way that God calls us to be his. He didn't come not only, he didn't come just to judge uh, and to bring condemnation, but he did come to show us the difference between right and wrong. Look at verse 26 um, in chapter 8. Jesus says, I have much to say. I have much to say in judgment of you. <laughs> he's not trying to condemn, but he's definitely showing these religious leaders. He's definitely showing the people of his age. And he's definitely showing you and me. This is what's right. This is what's okay. This is what's good. This is what God-honoring lifestyle looks like. This is what holiness is all about. And this is what it's not. Jesus comes as the light of the world to expose our darkness. Jesus comes as the light to say, no, these attitudes, these actions, these selfish things are not okay. Sometimes he uses those, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes he uses his word. Sometimes he uses our spouses. Um, I don't know if your spouses uh, or others help um, expose the, uh, <clears throat> I found myself in my, one of my little bit of a <clears throat> ranting and raving moods a little bit, and, you know, I'm well exhausted, and I'm thinking I'm the one that's dealing with everything, and I'm complaining, and, you know, <clears throat> my sweet wife said, you sound like Elijah. <laughs> you, you remember Elijah? Oh, I'm the only one left, Lord. Oh it's only me and no one else involved. And God's like, um, you know, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed their knees to Baal. You're not the only one left. What are you doing here, Elijah? What is your big deal? What is, you know, and even Harold was like, hey, you kind of look down this way. Yeah, yeah, I, I, okay, you're right. I need to, I need to, Jesus has come to expose our darkness. When our attitudes and our faith are not in the right place, when we're not being obedient to him, when we're not walking in righteousness, we're not to be those that just say, well, no, Jesus forgives us all. It's okay. Yes, Jesus brings forgiveness, but Jesus also brings a call, a call to righteousness. I have much to say in judgment of all of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and I have heard him from what I have heard, I tell to the world. In John 3, Jesus echoes the same idea when he says, this is the verdict. 
light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Sometimes we just want to just hide, and we want to pull it over. We want to say, this is what we, we cover up and we conceal, and we try to not walk in the light. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to walk in the light. You have to bring your life into the constant exposure to the truth that is in Jesus Christ and say, here it is, Lord. Have I been pleasing in your sight? Light it up. Light up the darkness. Light it up. It was interesting this week as we all sort of watched the news and watched the, the political people and the, 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 the city mayors and the governors and the presidents and people speak out against the tragedy uh, in Texas. And sometimes I guess I don't even know. How should we react? What should we do? How should we be? There, there were plenty of, uh, of politicians uh, that, that, that spoke out. And then in this next slide, Jesus says this, that he left the Holy Spirit to guide us. Because you had some politicians accusing other politicians and other politicians accusing the first set of politicians. And they're all saying, if you would do this, or if you would do this, or if you would make this stand, or if you would do what was right. Sometimes I don't know. But the Holy Spirit and God's Word has to be center in my life so that I can make judgments about all things. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that the, that, that the spiritual man, the man led by the Holy Spirit, does make judgments about all things. I've got to look and say, this is what is the right action. This is what I need to do. This is who I need to be. Jesus himself said that he left the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, it says in John 16 that he left the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was there to convict about righteousness. Because Jesus himself is going to the Father. Jesus himself is exalted in heaven. Jesus is there. So we don't always know exactly what would Jesus do. Well, how would Jesus react? What would Jesus say? But he's left us his word and his Holy Spirit to guide us in these days, to guide us in how we're supposed to act. We have to stay in connection, vitally connected with the Holy Spirit so we can know how we should be. So what's our application? Well, if Jesus is the ultimate judge, then number one, you have got to stay vitally connected to Jesus through his spirit and through his word so that you know how to confront the darkness that is all around us. The darkness that's in our lives, the darkness that's in the society, the darkness of these tragic events in Texas to the war in Ukraine. We don't know how to uh, invest all our time or our prayers. We don't know how we should react to that neighbor who is just being a jerk or that person at work or that family member. We don't always know but God has given us his word and his spirit as a guide. So if you think you can figure it out on your own, I'm telling you, the world's too dark. <laughs> the world's too dark. We need the light of life. We need the light of the world to illuminate our path. But there's a second truth I want you to see in John chapter 8. A second truth in the middle of this conflict, in, in the middle of this, this, this moment of people just accusing Jesus, the light and world, the Savior of, of all things. Jesus' response is he shows that he is ultimately the answer. That he is the ultimately the answer. He confronts and transforms our false notions in the world. Look at what he says. To these Jews, to those who had actually begun to believe in him, to those who began to follow him, he said this, if you hold to my teaching, 
then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, this is, again, this point. Jesus being this judge, Jesus being the Savior, Jesus being the answer, brings us to a point where we can't solve the problems on our own. The problems are bigger than we are. I don't know if this year has helped you figure it out, but I have come to this place where I am stuck, and I'm just like, it's bigger than me. I, I, I don't know what to do anymore. I used to be wise in my own eyes, but now I'm like going, um... Maybe it's him. Maybe he knows. Maybe that. Ask somebody else. I don't know. How am I supposed to do with systematic injustice and racism and things that man, have been going on in this world forever and that are here today and I can't fix it and I've been trying? How do I fix and protect our schools? I mean, just when we think it might be getting better, another one of these tragedies happens. It's like, have we learned nothing? Have we figured out nothing? And I get upset. How do we fix this? We can't solve the problems on our own. I can't fix the economy. I don't know what to do about whether the universities should deal with COVID by dropping the masks, adding the masks, putting them back on, taking them off. I don't know what to do. Lord, I need you. I need you. I need you in a world where actually we have an adversary who is specifically trying to deceive, dilute, discourage, uh, and just cloud the way to turn off the lights, so to speak. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says this, the coming of the lawless one, this antichrist type figure, would be in accordance with how Satan works. Well, that's interesting. How does Satan work? I never really thought about what does Satan do. He says, Satan will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. The lie? What is he talking about, the lie? What, what is the lie? He says, and all the ways of wickedness that deceives those who are perishing. You see, we have an adversary who wants to cloud our thinking, cloud our judgment, cloud the way we see the world to make priorities money, to make priorities recreation, to make priorities everything about ourselves, our own fames, things that we think will make us happy, things that will make us content, things that we think, oh, this is how I'm going to have community. Oh, this is how I'm going to... God has given us directives about all of these things of life and for godliness. He has given us everything we need for community and for mission of Christ in the world. And yet somehow we easily buy into this lie when we are disconnected to our Savior, when we are disconnected to Jesus as the answer we think that everything else is the answer. He goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians that they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Are you a lover of the truth? I, does God's word have a place in your life where you actually are like, I need this today. I need to hear from the Lord today. I need the light of his reality to shine into every dark place because I don't have the answers. It says God sends them a powerful delusion. They believe the lie, and so they are condemned because they have not believed the truth, and they've delighted in wickedness. Jesus is the ultimate answer that confronts our false notions. He was confronting those Pharisees, those ones who thought that they knew everything, the thought that they had their religious truth. And he's confronting them and saying, no, my testimony is valid. No, I am the light of the world. Only through me can you be set free. 
not your rules, not your regulations, not how you've set up life. God, brothers and sisters, have we set up life where we put a little fence around what we have. Well, this is how I'm gonna do it. This is how I'm doing my retirement. This is how I'm doing my career. This is how I do my family. Or are we saying, Jesus, you are the savior and you've gotta give the directions. You've gotta burst through the lies, the deceptions, my false notions. Lord Jesus, I want to surrender. That is the only way we can act in obedience to him is in surrender. I think too much of my life has been controlled. I think too much of my life I've set up to, well, this is how I see it going. This is how I see my achievements. This is how I want it to be. The second thing I think with Jesus being the ultimate answer means that he's going to confront some of our addictions. It's amazing how these addictions sneak in. Sometimes they don't even seem like they're all that bad. I mean, I'm just, you know, playing a game or I'm just watching TV or... Maybe I'm just even hanging out with some friends. All of those things can be good, but they can also be the thing that we think is our ultimate satisfaction. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Everyone who is disobedient to Jesus all of a sudden becomes addicted to. That's what the slavery is, right? Addiction to these wrong behaviors, these wrong attitudes, these actions that can be so pleasurable for a moment but end up destroying our lives. Are you willing to bring your life under the lordship of Jesus in such a way that you say, light of the world, expose where the slaveries are? You see, because Jesus says everyone who's a slim, everyone who, who sins is a slave to sin, but a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. The only way out of the addiction, the only way, it's not enough training, it's not enough self-discipline, it's not enough um, right thinking, it's not enough counseling, but it's ultimately the son has to set us free because only then are you free indeed. Finally, if Jesus is the ultimate answer, he's ultimately the one who confronts and brothers and sisters, i got to be honest, I think this is where a whole lot of us are today. Our practical disbelief. Our practical disbelief. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, we say we believe. I say, we just sang it this morning, there's no God like Jehovah, there's no God like Yahweh, there's no one like my God. I mean, he can handle any problem, he can deal with any situation, he can revive this congregation, he can bring new life to Lutherville and Timonium, he can reach college students in a generation that is broken, he can deal with the things and the hurts of our families. I believe and I say I believe. But then the next thing I do is just, I got to figure out how to solve this myself. I got to figure out the answer myself. I got, I got to deal with it on my own. In John chapter 8, the people confronted him, and, and, and he, Jesus, they'd gotten into a pretty big argument, and they'd gotten down to some name-calling and some racial slurs, and things got really heated in this conversation in John chapter 8. And at the end of it, they're confronting him, and Jesus begins to say, look, even the prophets, even Abraham, they rejoiced at seeing my day. I'm the Messiah. I'm here. And the people are like, oh, you're not even 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? 
Jesus says, very truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, sometimes I think we miss that. We, we don't really get what Jesus is saying here. Okay, let's go back to that story of Moses. You remember Moses, the Savior who led the people out of slavery? Okay, you see all the parallels, slavery, and Jesus saying, I'm the one that's going to set you free. The one who led them out of slavery. When God appeared to Moses in this bush that was burning but didn't get burned up, it was just on fire, but the leaves didn't wither and the twigs didn't, didn't combust. It, just, it was this on-fire situation, and God speaks to him, and Moses is bold enough to say, okay, I don't know who you are. You're saying you're God. What's your name? All the other gods of all the other nations have a name. What's your name? Well, if you are the only true God, and you were the one who existed before all things, and all things depend on you, and you created all things, do you even have a name? Who would have given you a name? It's a very interesting question. And Moses says, what's your name? And God's response was, I am. I just am. I am who I am. I mean, there was no one besides me. There's no one before me. There's no one who's coming after me. There's no one who can do what I can do. There's no one who is anything apart from me. I just am. When Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. He was claiming that all the fullness of God was right in their midst. He was walking among them in bodily form. The one who I am, who I am, was right before them, speaking directly to them. The I am was right there. That's the one that can part the sea and who can dry up the, the, the oceans before the Israelites. He, he's the one who can speak to the dead child or to Lazarus and say, little child, get up, Lazarus, come forth. And the ones who are dead come back to life. The one who can end all problems. The one that can rescue the nations. The one who is the I am who I am was right there talking to them. And they knew exactly what he meant because they picked up stones right then. They were ready to kill Jesus right then. They knew that he had spoken what they considered blasphemy. And what Jesus knew was just truth. He's the one that can, is the answer to every problem. But here's the deal. I believe that. So why don't I act like I do? Why am I upset when I think I'm going to be late or I don't have enough gas? Why, why am I in a panic mode when it's, oh, no, I don't have enough butter to make waffles? Why am I, okay, these are some of my struggles. Um, why am I in a worry, though, about how is the nation's going to be fixed? How, what solution can we do to appease a Putin to end a war? Oh, no, what if the gas prices go up too much that it's going to be difficult to afford even getting to work? When the I am who I am, the one who holds the universe together, this Jesus, the one by whom and for whom all things exist, this King, sovereign Lord of the universe, lives in me by his spirit, has redeemed me by the cross, who lives again and seats at the right hand of God the Father right now as my Savior, the one who answers my prayers. I, it's like I practically don't believe it because I don't go to him first. I do everything else. 
So what is our application of this truth that Jesus is the answer? Well, number one, we got to start living like God's people. we got to start actually living like we believe this truth. That means the sin's got to get out. We've got to reject and let the Son set us free from those addictions. But it also means that we've got to humble ourselves and pray. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this famous verse just says, If my people who are called by my name, the ones who actually believe in me, not the world, us, will humble themselves and pray. And seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven, and I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Tonight, I'm going to be here, 6 o'clock. Come if you want to come. There's no service. I'm not preaching a sermon. There's no music planned. Feel free to play the piano if you want. <laughs> I'm just going to be right here. And you come if you want to. I'm just going to be praying. I'm going to be laying before the altar the names of people, the names of nations. I'm just going to be praying and asking God, God, would you move? God, you are the answer. It's not me. God, you do what only you can do in this place and in this church, in this world. God, I can't fix my children. I can't fix my grandchildren. I can't help them. I can't do what I want so badly to do. Lord, would you move? Would you move? If you want to join feel free to come. If not, it's okay. I mean, there's no pressure. Like I said, there's no story. If you want to say, I can do this at home, it's fine. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will turn, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And finally, we need to confront first our own sin. The sin of Christians. What happened in this denomination cannot continue. It just can't. It doesn't matter if it's me or anybody else. We've got to confront the sin in our own lives. It's got to stop. And finally, we need to speak out against the injustice in the world. I'm not saying post another Facebook post. I think there's plenty of those. But do we as his believers speak up in our workplace, with our neighbors, in love, not to condemn, but to save the world from condemnation, following the model of this Savior, our Savior, Jesus. So today I ask you, what's keeping you from confronting the church, from the sin in your life or in the church or in the world? And are you surrendered, following God's directions on, on personal confession and on confrontation of others? Are you doing it like Jesus taught us to do it? Today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to be right here. Or you can pray right where you are, but would you give your life to Jesus today? Don't wait another day. For those of you who are believers, what is God calling you to do? Is it leaving something behind? Is it confronting a neighbor or a friend or a family member? Is it coming to pray before the altar? Would you respond, as Jesus is calling you today, would you respond in the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who is not afraid to confront the darkness, who was and is the light of the world. Shine brightly in us and through us that the world might see your salvation, 
your transformation that you bring, Lord, we ask that you would light it up. Light up this church. Light up this city. Light up this world. With the glory and truth and love of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen.